0: Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Psalm 127, verse 1. Welcome to Canaan Baum Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Inbound Podcast features devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. My name is Philip Wells, and this is episode 110. We begin today with Bible Truths, question number 13. Bible truths question number 13 What God says about marriage What does God say about marriage God instituted marriage with Adam and Eve before the fall into sin He recognizes marriage as one man and one woman When God created man he said it is not good for man to be alone Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 So he made a helper fit for him Adam called her woman since she was taken out of man Because we know that God is all-powerful, intelligent, and He is loving and merciful, we trust that He has done everything perfectly and for our benefit. The marriage of one man and one woman brings blessings from God. These include the ability to bear and raise children, teaching them to follow God's will, His promise that two will become one, blessings that come at Christmas, Easter, weddings, funerals, and other happy or sad occasions where families come together and support one another to rejoice in God's promises. Christians are blessed when they put their trust in God and follow His will to recognize marriage as God's institution and not a human product. God's Word on Marriage from the NIV Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22-32 through 32, Select verses Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh." matthew chapter nineteen verse six "So they are no longer two, but one; therefore what God has joined together let not man separate." psalm one twenty seven verse one "Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain." genesis chapter two verses eighteen through twenty four the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs, and then closed up that place with flesh. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother, and he is united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Colossians chapter 3 verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1 and verses 9 and 10, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, or drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Each of their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed for lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. First Peter 3, verses 1, 3, 4, and 7. Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewels or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And now we listen to Not All the Blood of Beasts by Cross to Glory.
1: Or wash away the stain But Christ the heavenly Lamb Takes all our sins away A sacrifice of nobler name And richer blood than they Soul looks back to see the burden you'd bear and hanging on that cursed tree. I know my guilt was there. Believing we rejoice to see the curse. Cheerful voice and sing his bleeding love.
0: And now we join Pastor
2: Timothy Smith with God's Word for You. God's Word for You, Job 36, beginning at verse 16, and reading now to the end of the chapter. Um Before I do, though, the second half of this chapter is a warning. Listen for this as we go. Elihu urges Job to turn away from sin because the storm of God's punishment is coming. Although there are other hints about the approaching storm in chapter 37 as well, there are a lot more references to it in this part of chapter 36 that I think than in all the other speeches of Elihu, at least, combined. 16 to 21. He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction, to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. But now you are laden with the judgment due the wicked. Judgment and justice have taken hold of you. Be careful that no one entices you by riches. Do not let a large bribe turn you aside. Would your wealth or even all of your mighty efforts sustain you so you would not be in distress? Do not long for the night to drag people away from their homes. Beware of turning to evil, which you seem to prefer, to affliction. In these verses, um, and all the way down to 26, I suppose, that's coming, Elihu praises God and warns Job about a life of sin. He pictures God wooing Job away from temptation. The same image appears when God rescues King Jehoshaphat in the battle of Ramath gilead by wooing or drawing off the enemy in 2 Chronicles 18. We shouldn't overlook Elihu's picture of the joys of heaven. He's, he could be talking about the prosperity that Job's friends think comes to all the righteous, but his term for a spacious place, a Rahab, Recalls other times that the Bible describes the vastness of heaven, like in John fourteen two. Another point of interest in verse sixteen is that the word jaws, Hebrew is tsar, is a homonym that can also mean narrow. And Elihu turns on this wordplay when he describes heaven as as spacious. It's not narrow at all. Sin constricts us, but God's forgiveness sets us free. One more thing. Uh, in verse um eighteen and nineteen, be, be careful that no one entices you by riches. Do not let a large bribe turn you aside. Would your wealth or even all your mighty efforts sustain you so you would not be in distress? This reminds us a little bit of sins against the first commandment when people trust in their wealth or in uh, power, or in even in their human opinions. We recognize that these are sins against the first commandment. But what we don't sometimes understand as a first commandment sin is what Elihu describes as all your mighty efforts. When we accomplish something ourselves, when we have uh, maybe great intellect or learning or an IQ, or maybe we've done something great in the world. Maybe we, we've saved a life or we've become a hero or you've done something by giving up something for your family and you're proud of it. All of the things that give us human pride can turn so easily into a, a sort of concealed human arrogance where maybe even we don't want to boast about things in public, but privately we're proud of those things and hold them up as some kind of righteousness above God. These are all sins against the first commandment. And we have this little lesson as we're about to meet God in the book to put God above everything, whether it's a gift he's given to me or it's something I seem to have earned myself, but which was therefore really a gift from him, or or even my own opinion, whatever it is. We fear, love, and trust in God above all things. On verse 21, where Elihu says, beware of turning to evil, he warns against speaking rashly about God, which he calls turning to evil. This is the kind of evil Job has shown, which he seems to prefer to affliction. Now, that's a tough question, but it's one we're left with as the crux of the whole book. Would I rather suffer or deny my faith and my God? When it comes down to it, am I willing to acknowledge my faith and acknowledge that God is my God and yet pay a price for it, either in my suffering or, 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 or with my own blood or my own life or the lives of my family? Elihu's conclusion, and, and despite the rash things he himself has said, is, is, is really a correct answer. It is better to suffer than to deny God or speak out against him.
0: Thank you, Pastor Smith. And now we are going to take a short break and listen to Koine's song, Right On to Die, before continuing with the second half of God's Word for You.
1: Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Say to the daughter of Zion, See your king come to you gently riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey.
3: Sense the sorrow untold as you look down the road at the clamoring crowd drawing near. Feel the heat of the day as you look down the way. Hear the shouts of Hosanna, the King. Oh, don't. Zion, your time's drawing near, don't forsake him, oh don't pass it by. On the fall of a donkey, as the prophets had said, passing by you, he rides on to die. and the palms bear the one on your back oh so gently amidst the shouting so loud and the joy The shepherd is taken away Oh, oh, daughter of Zion Your time's drawing near Don't forsake him Oh, don't pass it by On the foal of a donkey As the prophets had said Passing by you he rides on to die Soon the thorn-cursed ground Will bring forth the crown And this Jesus will seem to be beaten But he'll conquer alone Both the shroud and the stone And the prophecies will be completed Oh, daughter of Zion Your time's drawing near Don't forsake him Oh, don't pass it by On the fold of a donkey As the prophets had said Passing by you He rides on to die on the fall of a donkey, as the prophets had said. Passing by you, he rides on to die.
0: And now we join Pastor Timothy Smith again for the second half of God's Word for You.
2: Verses 22 and following, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has prescribed his ways for him or said to him, you've done wrong? Remember to extol his work, which people have praised and song. All humanity has seen it. Mortals gaze on it from afar. How great is God beyond our understanding. The number of his years is past finding out. Elihu is proclaiming God's omnipotence. He is almighty beyond our understanding. He also proclaims God's holiness. Who said to him, you have done wrong? And he proclaims that God is worthy of praise. He says people have praised his work in song. And he proclaims God's immortality. The number of his years is past finding out. From this point on now, the storm that's been coming all through the book is right on top of the men. If we listen carefully to the poetry, we can hear echoes of the protection God gave to his people from their sin and his rescue from their captivity in Egypt. Are these words, true and historical as they are, also chosen for the poem because of the subtle glance they give to the future of God's people coming out of Egypt? 27 and 28. He draws up the drops of water which distill as rain to the streams. The clouds pour down their moisture and abundant showers fall on mankind. Up until now, they have made reference to the storm and noticed that it was coming. Um, Look, a dry leaf blowing past. Listen, I hear distant thunder. Look off in the distance at the shower on the hillside. But now the sprinkles are on their shoulders and wetting their beards. It's remarkable how well Elihu understands the hydraulic cycle of evaporation and precipitation as he he talks about it this way. 29. Who can understand how he spreads out the clouds, how he thunders from his pavilion? As the rain comes down, the warnings are no longer necessary. Thunder crashes. The thunder from God himself. The word here for clouds is ab, dark clouds, thunderheads. Yet God is depicted safe and comfortable in his tent, Sukkot. It's the same word used in the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, for the temporary shelters of the people in Leviticus 23. Verse 30. See how he scatters his lightning about him, bathing the depths of the sea. In addition to thunder now, of course, lightning flashes all around. And because light travels so much faster than sound, the relationship between thunder and lightning is not always understood by people. But we don't have to speculate whether I lie who knew that thunder is simply the sound produced by lightning or just as a little pop you know accompanies a spark the phrase bathing the depths of the sea also occurs with an additional object but the words are otherwise identical in Psalm 78:53 it's a reminder of the exodus he guided them to safety uh, uh, so they were unafraid but the sea engulfed their enemies the scattered lightning also recalls the plague of hail in Exodus 9 Thirty-one, thirty-two. this is the way he governs the nations and provides food in abundance. He fills his hands with lightning and commands it to strike its mark. That's actually a, a, a picture also of the false god, Baal, who was the giver of lightning. Um, Baal always reminds me of, of my childhood when we used to play electric football. And uh, that was a game with little plastic figures on, an, on, a, on a metal table and the quarterback in electric football was usually taller than the other players and he had kind of one arm up in the air above his head and another arm straight out forward like he was pointing to the guy he was going to throw a pass at and you put the little felt football in the upper arm pulled it back and let go of the plastic and he would throw the pass and if you hit the 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 uh the, the pass receiver then he was counted to have caught it, and then you can continue with the game. Well, that, the, the profile of that electric football quarterback is the exact profile of Baal in all of his statues that have ever been found archaeologically. Um, uh, but God, of course, is not Baal. Elihu is saying that Baal is not truly God, uh, but the true God is the one who actually is the one who is the source of lightning and thunder and everything else. And here in the middle of a remark about God throwing more lightning, we also have an image of God tossing or giving food. And that also reminds us of the daily blessings of manna from heaven in the Exodus. In Deuteronomy 8, 33. His thunder announces the coming storm. Even the cattle make known its approach. Now the mention of cattle here, McNeigh also recalls one of the plagues um, that the, the same word is used in Exodus 9 to translate livestock. The Lord is making his approach known and even the bellowing of the cows, which sometimes still happens before a storm, are, are, are a witness to the Lord's coming. Now, whether our poet living long after Job's time really had the Exodus in mind when he recorded these specific words or not, we see that the time for debate was over. God's presence was upon them. God rescues those uh, what does the prophet Nahum say? He, he rescues those who trust in him. He cares for those who trust in him. The time for God to speak had almost come. But as we shall see, Elihu has just one more thing to say. But Martin Luther had another very enlightening thing to say about this storm in Job. His point is that the storm in our lives drives us toward God. Even when uh, the, these storms are secretly raging inside, how is the storm a secret place for us? Um, Luther said, "It can be called that because thy visitation has preserved my spirit." He's quoting Job 10:12, "The storm and persecution perse- uh, preserve in us the fear and love of God, but peace and security destroy and betray the, the fear and love of God. Therefore, the secret place of the storm is very useful and much better than the appearance of peace and security. The latter brings forth the Spirit into the open, while the storm drives the Spirit inward and pushes it toward God. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you.
0: You have been listening to episode 110 of Cane Bound Podcast. This podcast was first shared in March of 2016. Visit CaneandBoundPodcast.com to subscribe, listen to old episodes, or to find links to the artists featured on the show. Once again, my name is Philip. It was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening.